Hey, and welcome back to episode 32 of the SoPro Cycling Show. This week, we're going to discuss the Vuelta, which just wrapped up last Sunday, and what we thought of the last Grand Tour of the 2018 season. And from there, we're going to discuss, you know, which riders did well and what we can infer from this last Grand Tour for the World Championships, which is starting Sunday, September 23rd. So without further ado, hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hey, and welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to talk about the Vuelta that just wrapped up last week, was it? Last Sunday? Last Sunday. Uh, you know, like a traditional Grand Tour. Last big stage is Saturday, and then a parade stage, which so happens to be in the Spanish capital of Madrid, won by Elia Viviani. True. Um, over Peter Sagan. Um, and the overall general classification winner was Simon Yates, bouncing back from what I thought was going to be a zero deflation that was going to haunt him. But, you know, he really showed a lot of mental toughness coming back here and a lot of maturity from that setback that he suffered in May. I agree. I think he learned a lot from that, you know, blowing up on what stage 18 of the Giro. And yeah, he just, he came back and, you know, he was confident and, you know, paid off. Yeah, so it, go on, you know, kind of the perfect storm though, you know, in a certain sense, not a lot of time trial miles as well as super strong time trialist. I believe Steven Kreuzvik was probably considered the strongest GC time trial threat by the time that stage rolled around. Um, so, you know, you really had a battle of pure climbers and Simon Yates just appeared to be the most consistent, but something else that also dominated this race would have to have been the kind of lack of wanting of the red jersey throughout the race. What do you, you mean know? by that? So in the early part of this race, yes, I was one of those people actually paying attention to the Volta, watching the stages. <laughs> I know that, you know, there can be a lot of season fatigue by the time we reach the Volta. And it's kind of the reason why the cycling triple crown is often considered the zero, the tour and worlds. Yeah. Uh, so something that was interesting to me was teams were getting the red Jersey and then the next day, letting the breakaway go out nine or eight minutes on stages that the breakaway shouldn't have gotten nine or eight minutes. But you know, the happy consequence of that was Ben King's double stage wins earlier in the Volta. That's true. Uh, because you know, they let these, they were letting these breakaways go and almost instantly these guys who were in there kind of knew that they were racing for stage wins and someone like Ben King, who's been chasing a grand tour stage win managed to pick up two because of that. And I think a lot of the reasoning is because, you know, the Vuelta is definitely hard on riders just because of the amounts of climbing and the climate in Spain can oftentimes be very hot and draining on the riders and you know, GC teams don't want the responsibility of leading the parade through Spain. Right. And it's interesting because, you know, in the tour you have like sky is just so dominant and they're, you know, fine to just pull 
the entire stage for three weeks. Um, but in the Vuelta, what I found interesting is, you know, we had that opening time trial, which is probably the flattest stage there was. And then after that, it's like, boom, right in the mountains. Whereas, you know, the tour it's, there's a lot of, you know, transition stages. So you'll have, you know, that opening time trial or whatever, and then you'll have like two or three sprint stages. And then maybe you'll throw in, you know, a little, a little lumpier stage, but the Vuelta, you just went straight from TT to mountains. And it was like that pretty much the whole time I counted maybe four stages that were really flat. I mean, yeah, you know, and if you open up the, uh, like the course profile, one, two, three, you know, you kind of guess it right on the dot Four flat stages. One of those even being, you know, the last day in Spain, the Madrid stage, which in itself is, you know, the champagne parade. So really we were looking at three flat stages one of which I know off the top of my head was spoiled by Yelly Wallace, the Belgian, in a heroic kind of push to the line right ahead yeah. of the bunch sprint. That um, was crazy. You know, and then Viviani and Nasser Buhani split the other two. You know, obviously Viviani picked up another stage win along the way early, um, stage three. But after that, you know, it kind of turned into more of a roller climber dominated race by virtue of the parkour. Yeah, that's true. There was one stage, which I thought was really interesting where Valverde and Sagan were going like head to head and Valverde was able to out sprint Sagan. I don't know if Sagan just had like, was having a bad day or what, but overall, I just don't think he looked that great. This in the Vuelta, you know, I really think that Sagan kind of underplayed how injured he was from those uh, crashes during the last couple days of the tour, you know, kudos to him by virtue of, you know, just being an all around tough guy and a real competitor in the sport. But, you know, unfortunately I do think that he sustained a fair amount of damage there. Right. And, you know, the Vuelta, the Vuelta was obviously his tune up for worlds. Um, you know, I don't know if I really liked what I saw out of him with the Innsbruck course coming up. Yeah, as far as his climbing. But yeah. I mean, that being said, he was also probably the most consistent. Like he got a couple second places and he was always, you know, he's always in the top five or so on the stages he can be. So I don't know if he's just missing that little edge or, you know, when we talk about Sagan, we are like, if he's not winning, we think he's on a, he's doing terrible. So, you know, getting a couple second places and, you know, after racing the tour and right. the whole rest and of the season. But even when like it comes to something like the Vuelta's points jersey, you know, just by virtue of this being a mountainous race, someone like Valverde who can sprint at the end of a long hilly or mountain stage just starts to rack up points and kind of becomes a little insurmountable. And that's kind of why, where I want to go with this conversation next is the movie star duo of Alejandro Valverde and Nairo Quintana. Obviously, you know, Valverde, 38 years old, ageless wonder, 
you know, <laughs> has won the Vuelta before, but that's his only Grand Tour win, and I believe it was in 2009. So, you know, the fact that he was holding on, holding out, and climbing with all those guys for three weeks, but then, you know, he gets an altitude, it's the end of the race. You know, it's a big ask for somebody who's always kind of struggled in that scenario throughout his entire career to try to execute on. And, right. you know, and it wasn't it even until that be, stage. Yeah. And, you know, realistically, it shouldn't have been his job. You know, Nairo Quintana was supposed to be the guy who, you know, should have been climbing there at the end for the win. But, you know, he just looked off. And I really think that Movistar, you know, they touted the triumphant at the start of the year of Mikel Landa, Quintana, and Valverde. And I really think that just ended up hurting all three of them. Yeah. In the end. And do you think that's because, you know, Quintana's had this, like, pressure over his head of to always be you know, the best on Movistar, do you think he's like kind of cracking under that pressure and that's why they're doing that? And, you know, it's backfired. I you mean, know, cause I, he's just not like he had that one. What do you win the Volta or the Giro? Um, I believe his last, his last grand tour, I believe was the Volta. I want to say. Okay. Um, so he I'm had, not, I mean, he's won a, a grand tour. And could be multiple, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so he has a couple. Um, but since then, he's just not looked that great. Yeah, his GCs me. are the 2014 Giro and the 2016 Vuelta. Yeah. So, um, you know, the only one he has to add is the Tour. And, you know, that puts him in, like, an elite category. And I think because of that, he just had has this pressure... And movie Movistar kind of sees that and you know are trying to mix things up. It's right. backfiring. The issue is, you know, based on how the tour is constructed for this day and age, you know, he's not a tour rider. Tour riders are the super hardcore time trialists who can climb. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I guess that's interesting because, you know, I don't really feel that anyone on this Vuelta podium really fits that mold. You know, let's start at the top. Simon Yates, you know, undeniably a fantastic explosive climber who did hold his own in the zero time trial. But the end result of that was blowing up a couple of days later against the likes of Froome Dumoulin and then the field itself when he, you mean the zero time trial? Yeah. The zero yeah. time trial. And I mean, even here in the Volta, you know, he still did enough to mitigate his losses to someone like Steven Kreuzwick. And, you know, by the last couple of days when he finally uh, broke Valverde, that was that was it. The song had sung before the last big climbing stage Saturday. Um, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get at is you know, he's a great explosive climber. I just don't know if he's there yet, you know, in terms of being able to take that time out of a Froome, a Thomas, or a Dumoulin in the Tour right. de France yet. Yeah, I agree. Cause that, that TT is like super important. And now that we're on um, time trials, let's talk about Rowan Dennis. The dude 
absolutely crushed <sighs> opening TT. God, yes. <laughs> and the, you know, one in the middle. I think he's going to win worlds, dude. I think he will. Um, just by the simple virtue of, you know, Tom Dumoulin, undeniably a fantastic time trialist, you know, definitely, you know, the one a to Rowan Dennis's one B the one area that concerns me though, for Dumoulin is how much has becoming a rising GC star impacted his time trial ability in terms of going up against pure time trial is because there's no doubt that he's going to take minutes out of the other GC guys when he steps to the line. But when he's got to go up against someone like Dennis and go pure time trial against pure time trial, you know, you do have to give some of that up to be able to climb with some of these guys in the high mountains. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I guess one of BMC's last ditches was, and, you know, it's an ongoing project. You never know when someone like that's going to break through. Uh, Rowan Dennis as a GC contender has been something that's long talked about as somebody who can time trial extremely well. Um, you know, so I don't know how much Dennis has let that get in his head as well. So I think it'll be an interesting dynamic to watch both of them ride that course at worlds. Yeah. It's going to be a great race. Um, other than that, the last two guys who I wanted to talk about were Enric Moss and Mikel Andela Lopez, um, 23 and I believe 24 years old. Yep. 24 years old, respectively. Uh, again, podium finishers, one Spaniard in Enric Moss. That was his first grand tour. Went there with uh, quick step floors, completely unsupported, essentially, because that team was supposed to be a lead out train for Elia Viviani. So he was oftentimes climbing alone and he climbed all his way to second, battling with Lopez in the white jersey competition up until the last possible second. And then Lopez, another fantastic Colombian, a rising star in his own right on Astana, climbed very well. Both of them actually gapping the red jersey Simon Yates on that final stage. Yeah. And I think this, you know, it's a classic thing to say, but this could be the start of the new youth movement. And I think going into next year, you know, these younger riders going up against the likes of Thomas and Froome, Dumont's kind of in the middle. I believe he's only 28 years old, but you know, I do think we'll start to see a little bit of a changing of the guard going into next season. I agree. And I'm excited for that. Um, and one thing I, I, I want to say is like, if you're used to just watching the tour and like, are not a fan of the sky, you know, death star train, just destroying everyone watch the Vuelta or the Giro one year. And cause there's like so much more dynamic and you have these, you know, unknown riders that you really never knew about that might be in their first grand tour. Cause that's usually where they start either the Giro or the Vuelta and then make their way to the tour. It's just an interesting race to not have one team be so dominant. And, you know, you have guys like, um, Ben King go- going to win stages. Uh, what I want to talk about next is Michael Woods, 
probably God. the deepest I've seen someone go to, for a stage since Sagan in the year he won the Tour of California up the, was it Gibraltar? One of those climbs? Yeah, I think it was Gibraltar Road. Yeah, he went so deep. And if you read the interview after, I mean, that's just an incredible story. Um, So, I don't know. It's just... It's a it's a cool race. You have guys like um uh Rodriguez on the Escudati Mures team. I like when like non-world tour riders end up winning stages just to like I don't know. It shakes things up, it keeps it interesting, and you know. It's the underdog mentality, and that really resonates with Americans. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh but you know, the Volta. It was solid. It's at the end of the year. Um, but there is a couple more pieces of business for these guys to take care of. The most pressing of which is the world championships beginning this Sunday in Innsbruck. That's true. So we got, what's the first day? Yeah, you know, it's elite women's team time trial followed by the elite men's team time trial on Monday. This of course being the last year of the team time trial. Is it really? Yes, it is. Why is they that? will not have trade team time trials because huh. you know, everything else is broken down by nationality and you know, that's the only place where they compete as a trade team. So I just think they're doing away for that for aesthetic purposes. Okay. And then kind of rolling on from that, uh, Monday through Wednesday will be all of your time trials, the elite men and women riding on Tuesday and Wednesday. Nice. Okay. So I just want to get into worlds real quick for people who don't know. Uh, so are you like, do you have teammates in this? So when Sagan wins the world world championships three years in a row, is he having, you know, Burkhart lead him out and stuff? No, actually. Um, and this is this is where Worlds is both interesting and a little silly. So someone like Peter Sagan, who dominates the gathering of UCI points, the mythical points that the UCI assigns to people based on your finish in particular races and or stages. Um, and that directly contributes to your country's total points. That then is translated into how many riders you get to start at Worlds. So while Sagan is fantastic, he is one going up against, you know, just hordes of guys from like Italy and Belgium who get to start full squads, I believe eight or six somewhere in there. Um, I believe Slovakia usually only starts three, one of which obviously being Peter Sagan, the second of which will be his brother, Jerzy. Yeah. Something like that. And then the third, um, the third is usually another world tour Slovakian rider who has always kind of been around Peter. His name is escaping me at the moment, but that is what's made Sagan's, wins kind of even more remarkable 
is he's doing it with such a reduced team. Obviously, those guys support him for as long as they possibly can. But one of the defining facts about Worlds is that these are grueling, long one-day races. The men's race this year is 259K. And Jeez. I features about somewhere in the neighbor of like 4,000 meters of climbing. Right, which is different than in the past. The past In the last three years or so, it's been more of a flat uh, stage. Where this right. year, it kind of favors a climber over a sprinter type rider like Sagan. Right, and that's kind of what's interesting here is, you know, you're going to be putting a lot of people together who have never climbed together before. So one of the things that worlds won't have, I think is like a team sky esque team time trial up the mountain. That's true. Yeah. So you're going to have, you know, just each team is basically the guys from a certain country. And then how do they pick like, who's the main guy? Obviously Slovakia is like Sagan's dude. He's, he's won the last three years, but like guys from like Italy or Spain, you know, how they, how they deciding who's the guy they're working for. Um, you know, hopefully your country has a hot hand. Yeah. You know, is that's the ideal. Somebody who has just been performing all year consistently, just dominating. And, you know, hopefully that's enough to keep big personalities kind of in check and in support. Obviously, everyone wants rainbow stripes. The winner gets to wear the rainbow jersey. Um, the whole next year. Which the, is the issue is, you know, you get guys who know that they have a chance. Like, take the French team. For instance, you got Julian Alphilippe, who's clearly the hot hand, rode very well in the mountain stage of the tour, winning a bunch, and just looked insane and had a smile on his face the entire time. His teammates, <laughs> though, are Roman Bardet, Thibaut Pinot, and Warren Barguil. Those right. are three guys who can climb. Yeah, so like, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, we'll work for you, but I'm really going to try to win this and I'll sprint you right. Or something like that. In opportunity, you know, early, they might take it, but you know, if it's something where like it comes down to a sprint finish, then yeah, those guys are probably going to line out in front of Julia and Alaphilippe and try to carry him because, you know, Alaphilippe on paper looks the best equipped at this time to tackle this course. Yeah, I I don't know, dude. Valverde looked real good, and I th- I believe the finish line is on a flat part, like it's not a mountaintop finish. Is that correct? No, no, it definitely it drops down. You're correct. Okay. Yeah, so it's a downhill and then a flat bit, and then you have the sprint. So if it came down to like Valverde versus Alaphilippe, I don't know, man. On stage, uh, what was it in the Vuelta? Uh, uh, Valverde outsprinted Sagan in that one bit, and it was yeah, like I believe it's like stage four or something. It was early. I think it was stage eight, actually. Um, okay. so like I don't know if it came down to that. Valverde is looking real good. I agree. Uh, Valverde definitely looks good. 
I'm a little worried that he's one of those guys, though, who definitely taxed himself in that last week of the Volta, as opposed to building form in the last week. And a large part of the reasoning being, you know, he was riding to defend GC position and pushing himself into the red continuously. But, you know, he does have time. He's got this entire week to recover. And then, you know, he can kind of just, you know, the guys who are preparing for this just coming off the Volta aren't really doing more than just keeping the legs moving at this point. Like both Yates brothers will be representing Team Great Britain there. Um, you know, so both of them fresh off the Volta. I say fresh. Right. We have the confidence, I mean. confidence from winning. So that could be another, you know, one two punch. And what right. one other uh I don't believe Garrett Thomas and Chris Froome are doing worlds this year. They are not. You are correct. So those are two big names that could have been good for the Great Britain team. And then, you know, who else we got? We don't, unfortunately, we don't really know who's going to be there. We can only assume because they don't really release like a, you know, start list, at least not yet. Yeah. We haven't really been able to find a dedicated whole start list. Right. You know, we can find individual stories for particular countries, but we've struggled to find the information regarding who is starting for who, where, you know, like we know outsiders with a hope someone like Primoz Roglic will be starting for Slovenia, another small team. He will have uh, Mohoric with him who will be a good domestique but you know and Roglic looked real good on that one downhill stage in the bingo in the tour so do you know if the course is like a technical downhill or, at all or is it I like, do not yeah so that's one thing we have we'll have to look up but right. basically you know that could be a deciding factor as well if someone is a real good descender like a Sagan and they're there at the end Right. Know, he made Roglic, his right away. Alaphilippe, Sagan, all these guys. Um, pretty much pick a Colombian out of a hat for this one. Whether <laughs> you want to take Rigoberto Uran, Lopez, Quintana, heck, even Bernal. Bernal. Again, that's that's one of the start lists I've been searching for because you know, being that this is Climber Worlds, the most climber friendly country in the world will probably put forth a good effort into trying to bring the rainbow Jersey home. Right. And then, you know, the interesting teams I think will be Spain and Italy, two countries well known for their grand tour contenders, but Vincenzo Nibali, you know, the announcers were saying he was looking good in his run up. Essentially, like if he was using the Volta, as a jumping off point for worlds, they were saying he was looking good. But for me, that kind of conflicts with everyone else saying, Oh, he is here as a GC contender, ready to go. And so, you know, I don't really know what to make of his form at this time. And, you know, I don't really know if Italy has a good backup plan for that. Yeah. I mean, he just kind of, you know, I, I, I think he's another one where that, that his injury from that crash in the tour kind of, you know, he maybe should have took some more time off because I don't know. He just, he didn't look good to me and I don't think 
I don't think he'll be a contender to be honest. Unfortunately. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, the other things I want to talk on is on the women's side of things for the sole fact that, you know, I want to, I want to say it. Katie Hall, Team USA, just signed with Bulls Dolmens, climbing incredibly well this year. I think yeah. there's a great chance of a rainbow jersey from that women's team this year. That would She's be amazing. Backed by incredible talent like Megan Garnier, Ruth Winder, Taylor Wiles, you know, Corinne Rivera is there who like, you know, definitely not a climber by trade, but like, by God, she can get herself over everything and gets to the end of that race. You know, I, I just really like the American team's chances this year. Obviously the Dutch women will feature quite heavily. Anna Vandebregen and Amonique Van Luten, definitely clear favorites going into the time trial. They went one, two last year. No reason to think the same won't happen again, but I don't know, man. I just have a lot of faith in this American team on the women's side this year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they've been looking real good. So, you know, hopefully they can pull it off. That'd be amazing. You know, on, you know, on the flip side of things, we've always as a country struggled to reach the UCI points available to kind of start a large squad of dudes on the men's side. Um, so this year, and a lot of that has to do with the lack of Americans at the world tour level, True. amassing points. So this year we're starting four guys with one reserve. And these four gentlemen are Ben King, Sepp Koos, Brent Bookwalter, Peter Stetna with a reserve of Nate Brown. Really? We're not having like a Van Garder in? I don't know. You know, it's definitely an interesting choice. Um, you know, a very mixed squad. Obviously, Ben King clearly had to be picked just based off of the way yeah. he was climbing in those breakaways. Sepp Koos winning America's toughest stage race, the Tour of Utah. <laughs> and then Brent Bookwalter and Pierce Stetna, if anything, have proven that they are some of the most consistent dudes out there. Um, looking at the squad, I don't really know what the game plan is. If anything, I think it's climb really well and try to get to the end and make something happen. Yeah. Maybe try to put one guy on a break or something. Right. It's, you know, yeah. For his first grand tour, Sepkus looked good, especially from the standpoint that he had to ride in defense of Croyswick and Bennett. Um, yeah. I know he didn't feature quite as heavily in the latter part, but I am interested to see how he climbs in such a long, difficult race. And then Ben King, you know, yeah, he's got those two breakaway stages, but now he's got to be in the mix with the purest climbers. Exactly. You know, I think it'll be a tough go. I do think that if they play their cards right, those four can do something in this race. I just think it's going to be very difficult for them. Yeah. I mean, when you have guys that are, you know, against Philippe and Sagan's and Valverde's, it's going to be a hard ask, right. but yeah, that is, if everything goes right, 
they might be able to pull it off. But I mean, you know, it is an everything needs to go right thing. You know, I think I definitely think I am going with Julian Alphilippe for this one. Okay. You know, I I like his abilities in one days in terms of being able to handle the distance. I liked what I saw from him at the tour in terms of his descending. And, you know, it just stuck with me, his mental attitude, watching him race, you know, and being able to just handle the stresses of a race of this magnitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. He's a good pick. I'm going to go with Valverde. I think he looked, you know, really good until the end of the Vuelta and he was sprinting well. So if it, it comes down to a sprint, which I think it might, I think he's, I think he's got it. So we'll see. It's going to be an interesting race and I'm sure we'll do a follow-up after it. Yeah. Uh, we definitely will. Um, of course there are other categories that we have not mentioned such as U23 and juniors. Um, you know, when the results for those roll in, we'll be sure to mention them in our show next week as kind of a halfway update. Again, the elite women's and men's race will be not this weekend, but the next. But the action gets started with the time trial parade on Sunday. Cool. Well, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Later, y'all.